Hello, and welcome to Mixed DNA Podcast, the podcast with two mixed race hosts talking about any and everything. Each week, we pick a topic, do some research, throw in our own thoughts and opinions, and put everything together to share here. I'm Melissa. And I'm Vanessa. Today's delicious episode, episode number 47, is Mixed DNA and Cake. Cake is delicious, and it's yummy, and it's scrumptious. There are so many kinds and flavors that everyone, I'm sure, can find a cake that they don't mind indulging in every now and again. I do love me some cake, if you couldn't tell, and I also like baking cakes. Coincidentally, I baked a carrot cake today, which is one of my favorites. It's a healthier version, so it says. I haven't had a piece yet, though, because it's still cooling. But hopefully, hopefully, it will taste similar to the one that is bad for you. I mean, I, I doubt it, but maybe it's close. Who knows? Today, we will take a brief look at the history of cake and its origins. We'll talk about three names very synonymous with cake, Betty Crocker, Duncan Hines, and Aunt Jemima. And then we'll talk about some of our most favorite cakes and what's trending for cakes in different parts of the world. To start, cake is a flour confection made from flour, sugar, and other ingredients for flavor, texture, and consistency. And then it's usually baked. The history of cake dates back to ancient times, and the first cakes were very different from the ones we know today. Back then, they were more bread-like and sweetened with honey, with dried fruits and nuts usually added. According to historians, and there is no surprise here, the ancient Egyptians were the first culture to show evidence of advanced baking skills. The word cake has been traced back to the 13th century and is most likely a derivation of kaka, an Old Norse word. In case you were wondering, Vanessa is a fantastic baker. She makes many delicious cakes for celebrations. I, on the other hand, am useless when it comes to baking. Seriously, Betty Crocker isn't even my friend. We'll talk more about her in a little while. Europe is credited with the invention of modern cakes, which were baked due to the advancement of technology and access to ingredients. These modern cakes were round and topped with icing, and at the time, many cakes still contained dried fruits like currants and citrons. The first usages of icing were usually a boiled mixture of sugar, egg whites, and some flavorings. In the 19th century, the cake that we know today became more popular. However, it was considered a sweet, luxurious indulgence, as ingredients like sugar and chocolate were very expensive. Cakes in the early 19th century were baked with extra refined flour and baking powder instead of yeast, and at this time, buttercream frosting began replacing the previously used boiled icings. And, thanks to the advancements in temperature-controlled ovens, a baker's life became much easier, as now they were no longer required to watch and wait for the cake to finish baking. The Industrial Revolution also made ingredients more readily available, which made them cheaper so that more people could bake at home or even buy cakes at the store. Food historians also have theories on why cakes are generally round, the most common being that cakes descended from ancient bread, which were made by hand and fashioned into round balls that were baked on hearthstones, griddles, or low shallow pans. When baked, the mixtures naturally relaxed into rounded shapes, and by the 17th century, cake hoops, usually made of wood or metal, were placed on flat pans to affect the shape, and as time progressed, baking pans in various shapes and sizes became more readily available. Cake molds also began appearing during Victorian times. Ancient breads and cakes were used in religious ceremonies and were purposely fashioned into specific shapes according to the observation. Cakes today are served at special occasions, birthdays, weddings, holidays, funerals, and serving cakes at these special occasions represents a culinary offering to honor our most loved people. 
In olden days, because the ingredients were so expensive, it was an honor to be given or offered cake. Today, cakes can be relatively inexpensive, and we have many choices. Store-bought, boxed mixes, from scratch, or special order. But the message is still the same. Here's a cake, because I think you're special. Back to my not-so-good friend Betty Crocker. Her name is synonymous with box cake mix and canned frosting. But before that, she was a kitchen confidant, a guiding presence in kitchens across America. She was the dear Abby of cooking. A woman people could trust with their kitchen woes is how food writer Tori Avery worded it. Betty Crocker was there to answer questions like, why won't my cake rise? Or how can I make my pancakes fluffier? Home cooks would take comfort in the fact that when they had a problem, she would be there to help. However, Betty Crocker was and isn't even a real person. Shocking. I know. I was definitely shocked. She was the brainchild of an advertising campaign developed by Gold Metal Flour, a product of the Washburn Crosby Company, a flour milling company that would one day become General Mills. In 1921, Gold Metal Flour posted a contest in which contestants were encouraged to complete a puzzle and in return would win a prize of a pincushion shaped like a sack of Gold Metal Flour. An estimated 30,000 completed puzzles flooded the Washburn Crosby Company's office, and along with the puzzle entries came questions about baking. This was not anticipated, and the small advertising department was overwhelmed. The all-male department would consult the women of the gold medal home service staff with answers to the questions, and instead of signing their male names to the replies, they decided to create a fictitious woman to answer the correspondence, and they named her Betty Crocker. I would have never thought that she was made up. I mean, I mean, but how would I know? But she really seemed like a real person. Some good advertising and marketing. The last name Crocker came from a recently retired director of Washburn Crosby, William G. Crocker, and the name Betty was chosen for its wholesome, cheerful sound. Secretary Florence Lindenberg penned a signature that would be used as Betty Crocker's personal signature, and it was used as the closing to all correspondence replies regarding baking, cooking, and domestic advice. In 1924, Betty went from signing letters to having a real voice when the company began airing a cooking radio show. The Betty Crocker Cooking School of the Air, which first aired on Minneapolis's radio station, WCCO, and then went nationwide. The first voice of Betty Crocker belonged to the home economist Marjorie Child Husted, the writer and host of the show, and in 1951, a face was put to the name when they hired actress Adelaide Holly to act as Betty on television. Holly was the first of many women to play the Betty Crocker role. The face of Betty Crocker in print ads and on product labels has been depicted by various artists since the 1920s. A white middle-aged woman with short brown auburn hair in a red suit with a white shirt has never really changed, not even in her age except in the 1996 rendition for her 75th anniversary when she was given more olive skin so that she could be more relatable to a wider range of ethnicities. In today's world, Betty Crocker no longer assumes she's speaking to only women who are wives and mothers. Her cookbooks, including the very popular Betty Crocker's picture cookbook, known as Big Red, she has been translated into many languages. The overall cookbook series now includes over 250 different books published, including Chinese cookbooks, Indian home cooking, and kids' cookbooks. Another well-known fictitious cultural icon, known in the world of cakes, or more accurately, the world of pancakes, was Aunt Jemima. Aunt Jemima was created in the 1890s, somewhat 30 years before Betty Crocker, but for basically the same reasons, as a marketing campaign that unfortunately helped perpetuate stereotypes. 
Originally, Aunt Jemima was a ready mix that the Pearl Milling Company created in 1889. The product sparked a brand, and the brand sparked the creation of character Aunt Jemima. Nancy Green, a cook and storyteller, was the first woman hired to bring the character to life, and whom the initial character most likely resembled. Nancy was born a slave in Montgomery County, Kentucky, and was recruited for the job when she was 56 years old. She went on to portray Aunt Jemima at the 1893 Chicago World's Fair. Aunt Jemima was depicted as a formerly enslaved cook who spoke with a stereotypical enslaved dialect, and her clothing reflected the same idea, as she was dressed as a post-Civil War enslaved woman wearing a simple dress, apron, and a headscarf. Moving on to the 1950s, Aunt Jemima continued to be portrayed in advertisements as an enslaved cook from the South, even down to her vernacular. Moving forward to today, Aunt Jemima no longer exists. In 2020, it was announced that the Aunt Jemima brand would be retiring as part of a larger racial reckoning happening in the U.S. And in 2021, PepsiCo, the owners of the Aunt Jemima brand, rebranded all products to the Pearl Milling Company. All the products are the same, just the packaging name and the logo have been changed. Pepsi says that they worked with consumers, employees, and external cultural and subject matter experts to ensure that the new brand would be developed with inclusivity in mind. Pepsi issued the following statement to CNN at the time. As we work to make progress toward racial equality through several initiatives, we also must take a harder look at our portfolio of brands and ensure they reflect our values and meet our customers' expectations. It's great that they made the change, but maybe a little late to their own awakening. The brand name Aunt Jemima is based off a song called Old Aunt Jemima, which was sung by blackface performers in vaudeville performances or by slaves. The brand, for years, was linked to Southern racism and the mammy stereotype, even though in her later years, Aunt Jemima could be seen sporting a collared blouse and pearl earrings. It's great that 130 plus years later, she is finally a character of the past. Other well-known brands that pledged and possibly have made changes to the brand representation to be less racist and more inclusive have been Uncle Ben's, Mrs. Butterworth, and Lando Lakes. And what about Duncan Hines? Was he fictitious too? Duncan Hines was actually a real person. He was born in Bowling Green, Kentucky in 1880 and worked as a traveling salesman for a Chicago printer for most of his life, and by the age of 55, there were very few chain restaurants. And travelers or diners, in general, depend on getting good home-cooked meals at local restaurants. Hines and his wife Florence began assembling a list for friends of recommended spots to eat around the country and dishes that they have enjoyed. The list eventually became so popular that they began selling a paperback book entitled Adventures in Good Eating, which contained all their highlights and favorite dishes. Into the 40s and early 50s, Hines wrote a newspaper food column titled Adventures in Good Eating at Home, which appeared across the U.S. three times a week. The column featured restaurant recipes adapted for home cooks that he had collected during his travels. Hines' first foray into the world of baked goods would come in 1952, when Duncan Hines' bread was introduced through the Durkee's Baking Company of Homer, New York. And in 1953, he sold the rights to his name and the title of his book to Roy H. Park to form Heinz Park Foods, which licensed the name to a number of food-related businesses. The cake mix was sold to Nebraska Consolidated Mills in Omaha, and they developed and sold the first Duncan Heinz cake mixes. In 1957, Nebraska Consolidated sold the cake mix business to Procter & Gamble, and the rest is history. So, Vanessa, 
As someone who likes to bake and eat, what are your favorites to make and to eat? All of them. <laughs> um, well, I really love most cakes, I would say. I feel like the majority of people love cake. Um, there would, I mean, there are some cakes I would rather not. Like, I don't really like Black Forest cake. I'm not a fan of the cherries. Even those kind of cherries on cheesecake, ugh, I don't like them. But anyways, not that one. Um, I can't think of any of the top of my head. Fruit cake, like those old hard dried fruit cakes are very gross. I don't like those. Do you like those? There's certain kinds of fruit cake that can be done properly. That's true. But I actually like to eat my fruit cake with um with cheese. Oh yeah, that's true. Jamaican cheese. Well, they cut bun and cheese, but I guess you could eat this fruitcake with cheese. That sounds good. That sounds delicious. I should do that. It sounds good. Uh, yeah, so there are so many to name, but I will name some of my absolute favorites. First one is strawberry shortcake. I love strawberry shortcake. I haven't made it, though. You love it, too. Uh, also, I love diplomat cake, which has fruit in it. Not like a fruit cake, but fruit. Fresh fruit. It's delicious. My sister-in-law got one for me while I was in Romania on my birthday. I wanted to eat it all. I ate most of it. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm not good at sharing. Um, To make the cake I like to make, that's a tough one. I do tend to stick to traditional vanilla or chocolate. Like I like making vanilla pound cake. That's delicious. Chocolate everything always. I guess vanilla or chocolate cupcakes. Like today, I tried something different, which is carrot cake. Uh, we'll see how that turns out. Um, I also really like making pound cakes, like I just said, which are especially dense and delicious. And making cupcakes, because small cakes. Who doesn't want small, one mouthful of cakes? Like I said earlier, I don't bake, but I do eat, and I love eating cake. Some of my all-time favorites would have to be the strawberry shortcake, like Vanessa just said, uh, cheesecake, and black forest cake. Which is funny when you mention the cherries, because I actually hate cherries. But for some reason, in the Black Forest cake with the chocolate and the whipped cream, they just, they work there, surprisingly. See, and I like fresh cherries, like cherries without that. Ugh, I don't like it. I guess probably for when I was younger, my mom thought it was the best cake ever, or my brother liked it. And it was like birthday after birthday. It was this just stupid Black Forest cake. I hate it. And then Redu likes it. Like, no! To each their own. Since we both have an appreciation for strawberry shortcake, I'll talk about this type of cake first. From Global Kitchen Travels, run by the talented chef Mariel, we learned that surprisingly, strawberry shortcake is a truly American creation. Although more modern takes on this cake are angel food cake or pound cake as the base, the traditional strawberry shortcake is made with a biscuit base, which is, of course, another truly American tradition. Do you like the cake with the biscuits, or do you prefer it with regular cake. I personally like it better with biscuits, which is hard to find. I don't think I've ever tried it with biscuits. Yeah, I can try and make it for you. You make biscuits? I could try, but I, the one that I'm used to is the angel because it's fluffy and it's light. Like with a pound cake, I feel like that would be like, I don't know. I don't think that would go with that. Yeah, but fluffy angel food cake sounds good. What kind of cookies? What cookie? Biscuits. What kind of biscuits? Biscuits, like American biscuits. Like all digestive biscuits? What is an American biscuit? 
Do I have to Google American biscuit? Anything made with a biscuit is more delicious. And up in Canada, we can't find biscuits, not going to lie. Like, it's impossible to find biscuits. There's no biscuits anywhere to be had. So anytime I'm in the States and I have an opportunity to eat a biscuit, I'm like very excited. Because it just seems like something so simple, but we don't have it here. Since biscuits are so well-known in Southern cuisine, you would think the shortcake originated from somewhere in the South. But the truth is that it was created in New York. It can be said that biscuits and cookies kind of came from the same place, which is why in the UK and some of their colonies, a biscuit is a cookie and a cookie is a biscuit. But that obviously isn't the case in the US, where a cookie is a cookie and a biscuit is a biscuit. An unleavened cookie recipe first appeared in an Elizabethan cookbook in 1588, which would be the predecessors for the scone. Eventually, across the Atlantic, Americans added chemical leavening agents to transform the unleavened cookies into shortcakes and biscuits. The initial recipe for strawberry cakes started with the British version of the unleavened biscuit, layered with the fruit and covered in hard icing, topped with even more strawberries. It wasn't until much later that the addition of cream was swapped out for the icing, and the strawberry shortcake that we know today first appeared in print in a Rochester periodical in 1862. Next up, the very famous chocolate cake, which today can be found in hundreds of variations. However, the first chocolate cake was made in 1764, and it was supposed to be made into a beverage. The creation of chocolate from beans to the cacao tree can be traced to the ancient Olmecs of southern Mexico, and throughout history, chocolate was a bitter beverage, not the sweet-tasting treat we all indulged today. The Olmecs passed their cacao knowledge onto the Mayans, who not only consumed chocolate, they revered it and used many chocolate drinks in their celebrations and ceremonies. Mayan chocolate was thick and frothy and was often combined with chili peppers, honey, or water. Moving forward through history, the Aztecs took their chocolate admiration to another level, where cacao beans were considered more valuable than gold. They believed cacao was given to them by their gods, and they enjoyed the caffeinated beverages, hot or cold, and usually spiced. They also used cacao beans as currency to buy food and other necessary goods. Aztec chocolate was called doclotal and was mostly an upper-class luxury, although lower classes enjoyed it during weddings and other celebrations. The history of chocolate cake seems to have come from a popular Philadelphia cookbook author, Eliza Leslie who published the earliest chocolate cake recipe in 1847 in the Ladies' Recipe Book. At that time, further into the 19th century, chocolate desserts were being enjoyed, mostly by the privileged elites, especially in France and Austria. It wasn't until the 20th century that cacao prices dropped and became more affordable to the average household that we would see chocolate cake reach the masses. Like Vanessa mentioned, there are literally hundreds, maybe even thousands of chocolate cake variations, and different countries have recipes for different chocolate cakes. We'll go over a few of them just to make you hungry, in case this episode thus far hasn't done that already. We'll start with the most famous chocolate cake in the world, the Sacre Torte, which is a famous Viennese cake from Austria that originated in 1832. The decadent cake consists of three layers of chocolate sponge cake with thickly spread apricot jam in between and on the top. The whole cake is covered in dark chocolate icing and is served with whipped cream on the side. This episode is dangerous. It sounds so good. It's so good. Like, tell me more about these chocolate cakes. (laughs) (laughs) 
Next up, the German chocolate cake, which actually isn't even German. Its name comes from an English-American chocolate maker named Samuel German, who developed a formulation of dark baking chocolate that came to be used in the cake's recipe. German chocolate cake is a layered chocolate cake filled and topped with a coconut pecan frosting. Next up, we have the Joffer cake, which is a chocolate buttermilk layer cake filled with chocolate ganache and topped with chocolate buttercream. The cake was created at Bucharest's Casa Capsa restaurant in honor of a visit by French Marshal Joseph Joffer shortly after World War I. I didn't know German chocolate, uh, chocolate cake had coconut on it. Coconut pecan frosting? Get out of here. Melissa said earlier the Black Forest cake, or also known as the Black Forest cherry torte, is one of her favorites. It is a German dessert whose name translates from Schwarzwadler Christorte. It's a cake that consists of several layers of chocolate sponge sandwiched with whipped cream and cherries. A very popular dessert is the molten chocolate cake. Oh man. An American creation, of course, which combines elements of a flourless cake and a souffle. Its name derives from the cake's liquid chocolate center, which gives the cake another name it's well known for, the chocolate lava cake. In Argentina, you can find the chocotarta, a no-bake dessert that is influenced by Italian cuisine and modeled on the famous Italian tiramisu. Oh man, that one's a good one too. <sighs> this, rest- <laughs> this-, <laughs> this episode is exciting. <laughs> I-, I don't get how much it seems. It's like, woohoo! Is it getting hot in here? <laughs> tiramisu! <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Oh, dear. It's like Harlequin novel of cake. Oh, God. Terrible. Mm. It is made with three Argentinian staple ingredients, chocolate biscuits, dulce de leche, and cream cheese. The cookies are softened in milk and layered with a combo of cream cheese and dulce de leche. And the cookies can also be soaked in chocolate milk, coffee, or even coffee liqueur. The last chocolate cake we're going to mention today, because honestly, we could literally talk about cake all day, is Amandine from Romania. It is a traditional chocolate cake that is filled with either chocolate or almond cream. The cake has four components, the sponge, the syrup, the filling, and the glaze. Today, there are many recipes of the cake, so the ingredients can vary. But Amandine has been very popular in Romanian confectionaries since the 1960s and is usually decorated with a bit of cream and a thin, usually diamond-shaped chocolate piece on top. Moving on to another cake type that also has a few variations and thousands of flavors is the cheesecake, which over 4,000 years ago, the ancient Greeks created on the island of Samos. Yes, the Greeks, not the New Yorkans, created the cheesecake. The early cheesecake was made of patties of fresh cheese that were pounded smooth with flour and honey and then baked on an earthenware griddle before being enjoyed. Back then, cheesecake was considered a great source of energy, and there is anthropological evidence showing that it was served to athletes during the first Olympic Games in 776 BC. In the medieval ages in Europe, cheesecake transformed to include a pastry base in tart form. The first English cookbook, written in 1390, included multiple variations of cheesecake recipes that included eggs and various flavor profiles. 
For the next five centuries, English cookbooks would all at least have one cheesecake recipe, signifying the love the English had for this delicious dessert. Eventually, the cake made its way over to the American colonies, and in 1730, Philadelphia became home to the Cheesecake House Tavern, and Martha Washington's prize cookbook featured three different cheesecake recipes, which were flavored with rose water and other spices. Into the 19th century, we would begin to see recipes feature more subtle flavored ingredients like lemon and vanilla. In 1930, the New York cheesecake was born when traditional cheese curd was replaced with cream cheese, creating a creamier, richer, and tastier treat. All over the world, you can find different variations of cheesecake. Italians use ricotta cheese, Greeks use feta, Germans use cottage cheese, and the Japanese use a combination of cornstarch and egg whites. One of my favorites that I mentioned is the diplomat cake from Italy. Both the Sicilians and the Campignans both claim to be the creators of this Italian confectionery, but it seems that the first time the Torta Diplomatica was made was in the 1400s by chef from the Duchy of Parma. It was made as a gift from a diplomat to the Emilian city to Francesco Sforza, Duke of Milan, and from there its deliciousness spread all over southern Italy. Today, the diplomat can be found in the form of a cake or even as a miniature pastry in all Italian bakeries all over the world. Its main features are that it consists of two layers of puff pastry, and in the middle there is a layer of sponge cake that is wet with liqueur. The upper layer is generally covered with icing sugar. Another popular favorite cake is the red velvet cake that finds its origins in the United States. For black people in the U.S., red is the color of joy, and in the past, red velvet cake wasn't something you saw every day like we do now. It was reserved for special celebrations like Christmas, Juneteenth, and birthdays. There was a velvet cake in the Victorian era, and it was smooth and had soft crumb and was dense and fudgy. In the 40s and 50s, in the USA, Adams Flavor Foods and Ingredients Company out of Texas heavily promoted home baking recipes for cake, including recipes for the red velvet cake, which required their bottled red dye. Before food coloring, the cake was more rust color than the vivid red we recognize today, and the velvet portion of its name, same as the velvet cakes from the Victorian era, referred to the light texture of the cake, not its creamy cream cheese frosting. To be honest, it's the frosting that people crave. Amanda Rockman, corporate executive pastry chef for the Waterloo Hospitality Group in Austin, Texas, says, If we went back in a time machine and made yellow velvet cake with cream cheese frosting, people would be all about it. But would black people? Many who celebrate Juneteenth don't do so with red velvet cake, as the color is used to celebrate the blood that was shed by African Americans during the American Civil War. Upon my research for this episode, my searches would lead me to the names of cakes from all over the world, different shapes, flavors, and textures. But Canada, surprisingly, actually not surprisingly, was never showing up in any of my searches. So I took it upon myself to literally Google the most popular cakes in Canada, and several lists populated. More about desserts to try that are distinctly Canadian, but I did find one list on giftblooms.com that highlights cakes to try if you do happen to be visiting. To be honest, most of these I've never even heard of, and I've lived here my whole life. Number one on the list is the Canadian War Cake, which became popular during war times when eggs, milk, and butter were rationed. On the East Coast, the cake serves as a Christmas cake and is usually served with a big block of cheddar cheese and a cup of tea. Apparently, all you need to make this cake is water, raisins, which I know that Vanessa detests, molasses, white sugar, 
shortening, all-purpose flour, baking soda, and cinnamon. I personally like raisins. I have nothing against them. I've grown to like them now that I'm old. And I can't chew on hard things anymore. I don't know. I used to be disappointed when you're like a cookie and then you think it's a chocolate chip cookie and it's raisins. How rude. There are things way worse than raisins one could eat. Figs, dates, raisins, those kind of all fall into the same category of... Figs? The crunch in figs is wasp or wasp babies. It's true. Google it. I'll never eat a fig again. I can't do it. No more Fig Newtons? Do they still make Fig Newtons? No, because they're crunchy. Yeah, they do. I was scarred when I read that. Here, Vanessa, eat a bug. Interesting. People all over the world eat bugs. It's okay. It's good protein. Yes, but I don't want to. I don't want to. Eat all the bugs you want. Come over here. There's a lot of spiders we found. You can eat them. Also on the list is matrimonial cake which is made with a combination of a crumbly oatmeal base and a filling of chewy dates. It is believed that this cake came into prominence with people who couldn't afford expensive flour, so using a base of rolled oats and fruit for filling was more affordable. The list also includes Nanaimo bars and Joe Louis, and of course pancakes, because you shouldn't come to Canada and not sample some original homemade maple syrup. I don't, I didn't know that Joe Louis were Canadian, because Joe Louis was not Canadian. So that's just weird all on its own. Canadians have pretty pathetic cake. That war cake sounds sad. And then crumbly oatmeal base with chewy dates. I don't know, Canada. I don't know. I'm very disappointed, Canada, in your cakes. If you're looking for inspiration to bake cakes at home, I'd like to make a few recommendations on people you should follow or look up who might be able to give you some ideas. There's Grandbaby Cakes, a brand inspired by baker, entrepreneur, and television personality, Jocelyn Delk Adams' grandmother. Delk Adams has given a TED Talk in 2017 about brand authenticity, and her first ever cookbook was released in 2015 and was nominated for an NAACP Image Award, among others. There's also 26-year-old Alyssa Mikas, who discovered a talent for cake-making and entrepreneurship at the young age of 17. Mikas is from Deer Lake First Nation in northwestern Ontario, and her cakes turn heads for their beauty. She is the owner of Indigenous Sweets and is super talented. Yay, Canada, for that one. Get that oatmeal out of here. Also, take a look at Pink Pastel Bakery in Chicago, Illinois. It's a vegan bakery headed by Ada Nava, who makes traditional Mexican sweets from scratch. Plus, she is self-taught and creates vegan desserts inspired by traditional Mexican ones like flan, tres leches cake, and Mexican wedding cookies. From carrot cake to icebox to ice cream to devil's food to pineapple upside down to sheet cakes, bunt cakes, and everything in between, there's a cake or two or three out there for everyone to love. Taste and try all you can, because we all only live once. And as Marie Antoinette said, let them eat cake. And I totally agree with her. I think that's the icing on the cake of this yummy episode. Now time to get me some cake. I have to go check that carrot cake, see what's up. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode, everyone. And please remember to like, subscribe, or leave a five-star rating for us, wherever you're listening from right now and follow us on any of our social media accounts to join in the conversation about this week's topic or any other of our past topics. I mean, you really want to talk about this one. I know you do. 
Whoever you are, I know you do, because cake is amazing. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at MixedDNA Podcast, where we post links and quotes to many of the articles and websites that were a big help with our research for the week. Bye. Bye, everybody. Enjoy some cake. Go get it. Psst.